So grateful that you're here. We've been in a series, and it's called The War. And what we've said is simply this, is that in your life and in mine, there is a battle that's going on. It's raging. And God knows that there's a battle that's happening. And what he does is he provides us with everything that we need in order to not only get through and endure the battle, but even thrive and be strengthened in the battle. Last, uh, two weeks ago, we we were told that it's the armor that God gives. It's not our strength. It's not our ability. It's not, it doesn't come from within us. It comes from God. It's, It's an alien gift. It's a gift that comes from outside of us into our lives. And last week we were talking about the belt of truth. That there are lies that we believe. Lies that have no business being rehearsed in our mind. And yet it's something that we took in with mother's milk. And so we said, what we need more than anything else is we don't need um, things to build up our self-esteem. We don't need things to make us feel better about ourselves. What we need is the belt of truth. We need God's truth to sink down deep into our hearts so that we could find the freedom that only God can give. Today, we're going to look at the next half of verse 14. We're going to look at the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. In fact... Let me read it to you right now. It's only one verse, but let's stand anyway because it's God's word. We stand because God is awesome. He's a wonder-working God. And when we hear his word, we're in awe that he would be so kind, so loving as to give us this word. And it simply says this, stand firm then, remember, Stand firm comes from after all that I've taught you, after all that I've shared with you, after all that I've given you. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So God is instructing Christians through Paul, reminding us that he's given us the armor that we need in order to fight the battles that we're in. That no matter what battle you're in, you need this armor. So God takes some passages out of Isaiah and he uses them, he reminds us of the armor that he's given us. And one of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Now what does a breastplate do? Well, back in the days of hand-to-hand combat, A breastplate was very, very important. If you think of bulletproof vest, you have a concept of what they were wearing. It was something that protected their vital organs, that this was most important to have. Because remember, if you're in a battle and your arm gets cut, well, that's very grievous and very bad. But you could live. If you're in a battle and your leg gets chopped off, that's horrible, that's terrible, but you could live. But if you're in a battle, 
and your heart gets pierced? That's all she wrote. No more. You ain't going any further than that. And so he says, put on this breastplate, protect. So what Paul is saying is that there's this thing that protects your vital organs. There's this thing, in essence, that protects your heart. And it's called righteousness. Now, the problem with this word is that the word righteousness or righteous in our American dictionary, the way we use it now, doesn't at all mean what it was supposed to mean when he said it. So, for instance, um, uh, you know, I have, I have kids, so I've seen, um, uh, what is it, Finding Nemo. And does anybody remember um, the, 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 whatever, the turtle? And when, you know, when you did a trick or something incredible, what did the turtle say? Anybody know? Righteous! Right? I wish more white people were here so that you can appreciate how cool that was. Uh, too many Puerto Ricans around. So... Right, 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 right. There's one back there who raised their hand, right? And so we got you sprinkled around. I know, I know. Okay, so, um, no, he was like, righteous. He was like, oh, that was amazing. That was impressive. That was great. Or um, if something is praiseworthy or good, you would go, oh, righteous. You know, and so it's a little bit different when the Bible starts speaking, what Paul meant about righteousness is a bit different than what we use it today. Because it wasn't about an act or a a cool stunt. It It was more like to be examined or approved or presentable. It was to be examined and approved or presentable. So give you an example. I come into a church, let's say this one, and let's imagine you didn't have a pastor. And I come here, and there's a, a, a group of people, a board, and, and they come and they check me out, and they check out my family, and they check out my, my history and all that other stuff. And after they've examined me, they say, we want you to be our pastor. Well, then what's happened is, is that I've been examined and approved. I've been found righteous. Some of you who are young, you know exactly what this is like. And, And even some of you older people will remember this. You apply to a college or a university. And what happens? You uh, give in your SAT scores. You give in your application. You go through that and you sit before uh, an, uh, maybe a board, or you sit before an interview, or, or you just send in these applications, and after they examine your, whatever, 10th, 11th grade history, they check out your SAT, they go, approved, I mean, examined and approved. Or, if you were not found righteous, you were examined and rejected. This also happens in dating. You've experienced this, right? Right? What do you do? You make sure you brush your teeth, comb your hair, right? You, you, you put on uh, the appropriate clothing, and then you're hoping for what? The, the most awesome thing on a first date. What's the almost awesome promise on a first date? The second date, right? It would mean that you 
are, have been examined and uh, what were you thinking was the most awesome thing could happen? Now I'm thinking about it. I wonder. Hmm. The second date, right. And so, and so you're, 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 you're there and you go, I've been examined and approved. You see, that is a far different way than we use righteousness. So it's basically, are you presentable? Are you, do you pass muster? So now this is important, right? Because here's the problem. The problem with this righteousness is that we know deep down inside we're not presentable. And this didn't even start with you. It started all the way back in the garden. Now, if you don't believe that the Garden um, ever happened and the Garden of Eden ever happened and that it was just a myth uh, with Adam and Eve, I'm not even going to argue, with, uh, argue that with you. I believe it. You don't have to believe it to get the point that I'm trying to make today. When Adam and Eve sinned, they did something, they did something strange. Some of you will remember from your Sunday school classes that when Adam and Eve sinned, what they did, one of the first things they did is that they saw each other. They were naked, right? There was no, right? There was no Uniqlo um, in the garden. And so what they did was they saw each other and were ashamed. They, at first, were naked and were unashamed. But then, after sin entered the world, they saw each other naked and were ashamed. So they did something really weird. They sewed, and I don't know how they did it, but they put fig leaves together to cover up their shame. Now, this is really, really important because they were trying to cover up their shame with one another and with God. Could you imagine the shock that God went through? Seeing them for the first time and going, what, what is this? There was nothing between us. And now there's this wall of shame. They were no longer found presentable. They were no longer found righteous. Now, why is this important? This is important is because humanity has been doing this all since time. So think about this. There are some of you right now, and some of you are artistic types, right? You paint, you dance, you play music. And the way you're made righteous in the way that we've described, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, examined and approved. The way you become righteous is by nailing the audition, by being accepted into the dance troupe, by having your paintings put up on a thing. There is a way you have, listen, the, what you've done is you've created fig leaves for yourself. For some of you, the way you've made yourself righteous, remember, what are we saying? What, what is righteousness? Righteousness is to be examined and approved. So what you've done is you've said, I know, I will gather um, lovers, and this will make me feel beautiful, manly, whatever. 
Now, there are two major ways that we put on fig leaves to cover up our shame. Now, God wants us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, God wants to clothe us with something beautiful. And I'll get to that in a minute. But there's two ways that we clothe ourselves or we cover ourselves up. Let's see if I can do this. All right. You guys can't see it, right? So, is that okay? Can you guys kind of see that? Yeah? All right. Use your imaginations then. Okay. So, all right. No, I love you guys. You guys are wonderful. And no, Rob, you don't use your imagination. Everybody else is fine, but not Rob. Okay. So, there's two ways. Okay, so what are we talking about? There are two ways that we try to cover up our shame. Or, or not two ways. I should say, not two ways, not two ways. Two categories. Two categories that cover up our shame. And if you're using this category right now, this is important. If you're using the category right now, you're like, I don't need to cover up my shame. I'm a great person. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. But if you take one of these categories from you, then ugh, it doesn't go so well for you. Okay, so secular, that means like worldly, and religious. Okay, so it's secular and religious. So there's the irreligious way of doing it, and then the religious way of covering up. Remember, you're going to put on a breastplate. I wonder what you will cover yourself up with. There's something that you're going to defend your heart with. What is it? I don't know. But I know that if it ever gets threatened, you'll want to commit suicide. If it ever gets threatened, you'll want to. If your spouse ever points it out, you'll file for divorce. It's, what's the breastplate? I mean, what is, yeah, what's the thing that you're going to put on? So let's, let's look at some secular. I'm going to look at the secular ones real fast because I think that this is where we, well, yeah, let's just start here. Secular. Okay, so I'm going to get my notes because I need to, I can't spell good. All right, uh, I'm sure. Okay, so the first one is your career. This is how you cover up your righteousness. You go, are you a successful person? Yes, I make a lot of money. I run my own business. I am moving up the corporate ladder. I am successful in my job. I have, see, this is what you put on so that you can prove to yourself that you are, you are examined and approved. So, it's career for you. And all of your eggs in that, boy, you spend a ton of time. You work overtime. It's not a thing for you to work 12, 13, 14 hours a day. It's not a thing for you to really push and grow and work hard. And because this is where your identity lies. You see, you've tried to cover yourself up with the leaf of career. And you're showing. The other one, let's try this one. Remember, these people, the secular people say, I don't need God, I don't need religion, I don't need Christianity, I don't need anything. All I need is career or relationships. So the way you cover yourself up is that you can win people over, you can make yourself beautiful to be attractive to um, a, a, a potential marriage partner. This 
is what, if you have, and this, you know this, right? Because if you've ever wanted to die after a relationship broke up, anybody? No? 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 It's just one person. It's okay. I get it. Just one of you. It's because you put your identity. If you were to be beautiful, it was because she said you were beautiful. If you were to be uh, manly, it was because she said you were manly. If you were to be attractive, it was because he said you were attractive. Your righteousness came from his examination, her examination. And if they stayed with you, if they pursued you, if they desired you, then you were okay. Your heart was protected. But if they left, ah, Let's keep going. Some of you, um, it's health. And what I mean by health is I mean physical fitness or just general health. Like, you know, you hear people say this all the time, right? Um, well, at least I got my health, right? In other words, that's the main foundational thing. That's the thing that makes me worthy. That's the thing that makes me approved. That's the thing that I'm covering myself up with. Another could be your performance. This could be at school. This could be at a hobby. This could be because you're a, um, an artist. If a lot of people flock to your music, if you're demanded by a lot of bands, if you're, if you're called on to be on a bunch of dance troops, if you finally get to Broadway and you're doing Hamilton, then... It's your performance. You know, otherwise, you're a nobody. You're a no one. You know where you see this most, this secular thing? Or not you see it most, but you see it really clearly. Anybody here ever see a movie? It's an older movie. It's called Chariots of Fire. Anybody here ever saw a chariot? Yeah. All the young people are like, what on earth is he saying? Yeah. All right. So, Chariots of Fire is the story of two guys who are trying to get their identity. One finds his identity in Christ, and the other finds his identity, and they're both Olympic uh, runners, and they both run in the same race. One guy refuses to run in the race because it's on a Sunday, and his convictions are that he shouldn't work on Sunday, that it's the Sabbath. Another guy, and I can't remember his name, but I remember what he said. He, Abram, I think was, his name was. Um, maybe that was his last name. But he said, he said this. He goes, when the gun goes off, he was a sprinter. He goes, when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to prove my ex the worth of my existence. Performance. I have 10 seconds to prove my worth. That, beloved, is what a person who's finding, who's putting on the breastplate of performance. Maybe you are too. Let's go on. What about your spouse? We talked about this, so we're not going to do that a lot. Right? What does the t-shirt say? Happy wife, happy life. Right? And all the women say? Yeah, you bunch of legalists. All right. All right. No, what we're saying is, we're saying, you see, 
what we've done when we do that is we've made our spouse the one who examines us and approves us. We've got to keep on going because we're going to take all day with this. Um, the other one is money. You can go through anything as long as you're... Any one of these, I don't know. But this is the non-religious way of finding your identity, of finding yourself examined and approved. In other words, this is your righteousness. As long as you have this, you're righteous. The religious way is a little bit different. For you, it's you find your righteousness by not sinning. Can I take this one more step further? Because this is the recovery house of worship. You find your righteousness in your clean time. Let's call it that. Can we talk about this for a minute? Is this all right? I know I'm going down a, a shaky path. Okay. For those of you who are not like addicts, talk to each other for a minute. I'm going to just talk to the addict. So, I've literally, I mean, I, I don't know how many times this has happened. I've talked to people who have ruined their children's lives, cheated on their wife, blown their job, had a physical fight and beat somebody, uh, stolen something. I mean, just like, think about whatever you can think about. And they'll say at the end of all that, but you know what? Anybody know what they say? I'm still clean. I think maybe one or two of you have said that or heard that once in your life. Yeah. I'm still clean. You know why? Because they have the, the anonymous programs. Uh, I could have put anonymous program here. I'm, I'm putting that under religious. It's, it's, I haven't sinned in a way that's irrevocable. Now, listen to me. Am I suggesting that anybody here should use? Go ahead and answer that question. Of course not. And if you think I'm saying that, you, you should talk, and we, we can help you with your reservations. We love you. We don't want you to use. Really, we don't. This is the recovery house of worship. We want you to stay clean. But if your clean time is your righteousness, in other words, if the reason that you're clean before people and God because you're clean, because your urine is clean, you are not, you're not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You're putting on the breastplate of clean time. Make sense? And you're religious. You're a legalist. You're a one, uh, one uh, what is it called? The one agenda voter kind of thing. Where you just, it's all about that one issue. Now watch this. Many of you have justified all sorts of sin in your life. Because you haven't broke the one rule. Well, at least I haven't used. I haven't picked up, man. I'm telling you, your, your righteousness is leaves. And it's not enough. Okay, the other is religious duties. So here's what happens with this group of people. The, the way they feel good about themselves, and by the way, um, all these are, are fine, but when, you, I, when your identity is this, then you, so I, I, do I want you to, by the way, Recovery House of Worship, do I want you to serve at the Recovery House of Worship? Yes. Are there places for you to serve at the Recovery House of Worship? Yes. Yeah. 
food pantries, soup kitchens. I mean, at the office, we have um, people to recommend to detoxes. And if there's counseling. There's, oh my goodness, there's so many places to serve here at the Recovery House of Worship. We have a baby ministry where we minister to moms and we give tens of thousands of dollars worth of products and, 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 and uh, bassinets and, I mean, just tons of stuff, clothes and all that other stuff. The, 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 this church does amazing things. But if you are righteous because of your religious duties, then, see, we'll think that the reason that Jesus really loves me you go, why, why does Jesus really love me? But look at me. I just helped three moms out today. Or, or hey, let me, let me talk to the musicians, right? This is where you guys are, right? Or, I've, I've practiced. I've, uh, look, everybody was crying, and they were led to worship. Oh, my goodness. I really have an identity. Or, I nailed that, you know, part of the break, you know, or the, I nailed it. You see, you think that your religious duties make you acceptable to God. And what, you, and what you don't understand is that that is an insult to what God has already done. What you're saying is that what Jesus has done on the cross is not enough to make you acceptable to God. So you have to one-up Jesus and make it your religious duties. Now, this is important for a guy like me because I am full of religious duties. This is all I do. And I can kid myself to confuse my call or the exercise of my call with what God has done for me to make me righteous. Brothers, sisters, it's not about your duties. That doesn't make you righteous. Only the breastplate of righteousness makes you righteous. Okay. Let's do this last. I'm going to just do this last one because we've got we to talk a little bit more about this other stuff. I'm going to call it sacrificing. So some of us, and this is important, right, because some of us have a difficult call. In other words, you've been called, um, like Dominic, for instance, you've been called to a difficult community. You know, it's a Muslim community that's, you know, you want to love them well. You want to invite them into the fellowship of Christ so that they don't have to perform for their um, they don't have to perform so that Christ or so that God gives them favor, but rather they can rest in the finished work of Christ. All right. Maybe you have a tough call. And your righteousness, the way you're examined, here's how you do it. You're like me. You go, you know what? You know what I've done for my call, right? The first three years, I didn't take any pay. I mean, zero pay. And then for the next seven years, I had enough pay from this church to be at the poverty line. And then for two years, I was homeless after that. And then after, the, after three years of actually having a place to stay, I was homeless again for eight months. Oh, I've sacrificed so much for this church. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. It's all wood and hey, it means nothing. That is not where my righteousness lies. My righteousness lies not on my sacrifice, but his sacrifice for my sin. And his taking up the cross. And his laying down his life. And his bleeding out for me. That's where my righteousness lies. Now, beloved, if, 
if your righteousness. So what's so what's our breast, so what is our righteousness? Well, I just alluded to it. It's not found in your secular ways of finding righteousness. You're not approved because of your career, relationships, health, performance, spouse, or money. You're also not approved because, oh man, look at me, I'm reading, you know, and I, what could I do here? I could say, uh, reading your Bible. I could say, Sunday service attendance. Right? What else could we say? We could say, praying every morning. What else could we say? A whole bunch of stuff that you think you're going to find your righteousness if you just do this. And I'm telling you, what you're doing is a trap. What you're doing is leaving your heart vulnerable. You're not protected. We are not saved. by what we do. We are saved by what Christ has done. So it's not, it's not what we do. It's what Christ has done. Are you a good husband? Praise God, I'm grateful for your wife that she gets a good husband does not make you righteous. Your righteousness does not come from your marital duties. Are you a good wife? Then praise God. I'm grateful. I'm happy with your husband that you are a good wife to him. But that is not where your identity or your righteousness lies. Are you clean? I'm so happy for you, for your family, for all of society. I'm happy for you. But, but you... That's not your righteousness. Beauties, that's not your righteousness. Your righteousness is found in what Jesus has done, in his sacrifice on the cross. And every time we go to another righteousness, every time we try, like Adam and Eve, to clothe ourselves, to cover up our shame with something other than Christ's finished work on the cross, what we do is we desecrate the work of Christ. What we're really saying is, God, thanks for all that death and blood and sacrifice for my sake, but not enough. Let me add a little bit more to that. That's insane. And yet we do it all the time. I mean, just think of it. If before this service, someone would have came to you and said, are you a good person? And you would have said, sure. And then they would have said, well, why do you think so? There was this... um, there's this uh, a show. It's, it's now off now, right? The show is now off. It was called The Moment of Truth. That's exactly how the guy sounded. The Moment of Truth. And so The Moment of Truth was a show, and it was an incredible show. So think of like the, the $100,000 pyramid. Do you ever remember that Like back in the 70s? I forget, million-dollar pyramid, something like that. It was whatever. So, but this was a show where you had an examiner and a person. This person had taken a polygraph test or several polygraph tests, and they were asked particular questions. They weren't given the results of that, and then they were put on national TV, and they were asked, you could imagine how this was, for the first tier of uh, money, like, you know, the $5,000, you know, it was like $100, $500, $1,000, 
$5,000. So it's like four questions, right? And they were relatively easy questions. Although when you got to the $5,000 one, it was a little bit personal. If you get to the million-dollar question, God knows what you... I, I never saw anybody get to the million-dollar question. God knows what you would have to confess, right? There was this woman there. I'll never forget this. Now, as they, they're doing this interview in front of an entire audience... Her family's there, her husband, her sister, her mom, her dad. And the guy starts asking her questions. And this lady really, really, really wants the million dollars. And they start simple. Hey, you know, how long have you been friends? You know, have you really been friends with your best friend for 20 years? Yeah, <laughs> everybody laughs. Now we're at $25,000. Have you ever suspected that your father has cheated on your mom? Now we're at the $50,000 question. Have you ever, I remember this question, have you ever gone to a club and taken off your ring? She's answering the affirmative. Are you feeling uncomfortable? You can only imagine why the show is off the air. Everyone <laughs> felt uncomfortable. It was incredible. Kept on going. She confessed to cheating on her husband, to betraying her friend. She threw her father under the bus. Evidently, it wasn't just a suspect thing. He must have actually done so. She absolutely did. Then she got to like, I can't remember. It might have been the $100,000 question. Now, remember, this game goes up to, I think there was, after that, it was $250,000, $500,000, and then a million dollars. She was like three or four questions away from winning it all. And you could see, she was like, I'm going to go all the way. I don't care what I have to confess. And here was the question. It was the $100,000 question. I remember this. Are you a good person? You know what her answer was? And you'd heard all those answers before. I was like, um, no. She goes, yes, of course I am. And the lie detector test came back, no. She could tell herself that she was a good person. But she couldn't convince herself she was a good person. And the reason was, is because she had a lot of evidence to the contrary. Pause. The reason that this message is so important for you is because you could tell yourself, my job, I'm a good person because of my job. I'm a good person because of all the things that we listed, because I go to church, because I read my Bible, because I'm a moral person. You'll never be able to convince yourself. And even if you do, you'll still have more life to give yourself evidence to the contrary. Because no matter how good a husband you are, there are moments when you blow it. No matter how good a kid you are, There are moments where you blow it. This is why we are gospel people. We do not depend on our own righteousness, not do. We depend on the finished work of Christ. What does this look like on a day-to-day basis? Okay, so say, for instance, I'm struggling with self-esteem, low self-esteem, right? By the way, if you're struggling with low self-esteem, that is fantastic, That's the best thing because then you're finally being honest with who you are. You know what? I am not a good husband. My wife's in the back. She'll tell you. I'm not a good dad. 
my kids would tell you, I'm not a good dad. And this doesn't mean that I don't try to be an awesome husband or an awesome dad. I'm just saying I fail more than I succeed. That's all. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. But my righteousness lies in what Christ has done on the cross for me. So when you struggle with self-esteem tomorrow morning and you go, man, but I'm no good and man, I feel terrible, I'm ugly, I'm whatever, you can go, yes, but Christ has given me beauty and redemption and himself. He has sacrificed himself so that I can know his love. I am loved. What if, what if tomorrow you walk through your day and you say, I feel so lonely. I'm unloved. Nobody loves me. Well, if you're in Christ, you can take a step back and go, wait, but God loves me and he has proven his love to me by sending his son to die on the cross for my sake. I mean, if that's not love, if that doesn't, like if thinking about that doesn't create an emotion inside of you, you need to think about that a little bit longer because I'm telling you, it's a powerful truth. What if, what if, what are you doing? You're putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You're saying, my righteousness doesn't come from myself. My forgiveness doesn't come from myself. My good works doesn't come from myself. My esteem doesn't come from myself. It comes from Christ. Could you imagine? Let's say, for instance, even during this service, you remember something that someone did to you. It was a cruel thing. It was a painful thing. You're still struggling with the ramifications of that hurt. What if, what if, what if, when you find yourself being bitter, you said, you put on the breastplate of righteousness, and you said, wait, Jesus has forgiven me so much. He has forgiven me every sin. Lord, would you remind me of the forgiveness that you've given me and let that overflow into the lives of others? Why? Because our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. Our righteousness comes from Christ. Beloved, if you're here and you're dealing with guilt and depression and shame, I want you to rejoice. Your righteousness comes from Christ. And so you know what that means? That if you feel ashamed... You can kiss that demon on the lips. Like, let's say, for instance, the devil keeps on reminding you how you ruined your children's lives. Kiss that demon on the lips. Yup, and it was worse than that. But my righteousness doesn't come from being a good dad. My righteousness comes from Christ dying on the cross for my sin. If you don't nail the audition and they didn't want you in the, in the dance troupe or in the art gallery or in the school or on the band, if you don't, listen to me, my righteousness, my okayness, my righteousness comes from Christ, not from any approval from these men. Beloved, you can experience great freedom and great joy resting and trusting in Christ for his righteousness that he gives you rather than your own. Let's pray. Why don't you just sit in a posture of praying and just pray for yourself? Um, 
I'll talk a bit to you. Maybe you came into the service and you were weighed down. I don't know who you are, but God knows who you are. And the reason is is that you weren't putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You were covering yourself up with leaves. You were covering yourself up with your career. You were covering yourself up with your performance. You were covering yourself up with something. I don't know. Confess it to Christ. Just confess it to him and let him know, God, I I don't want my righteousness to be what I've done or what I do. But I want my righteousness to meditate on, be found in what Christ has done for me. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that as we go out of this place and we're, we feel depressed or bitter, we feel anxious, Lord, that we wouldn't try to cover those things, try to cover our shame, with these leaves that don't do anything, leaves like bitterness and rage and unforgiveness, things like performance and money and and all the things that we mentioned. But Lord, would you in a very real way, in a very real way, Would you make the sacrifice of Jesus Christ more real to our hearts? That we would be able to live, to stand, and the only reason we would be able to stand is because we have the righteousness of Christ, an alien righteousness that's not our own but belongs to you. Father, I pray that you would, in a very real way, in a very real way, you would turn our hearts to Jesus and help us see him for being beautiful and wonderful. I pray, oh God, that we would be able to that you would give us wisdom to know how to put on the breastplate of righteousness and that we would consider all that you've done for us and that that would be our identity. Make that a reality in and through our lives, oh God. Help us to see you as more wonderful than the things that we run to for identity. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.